0: Welcome to Electric Sheep, the knitting podcast from Hoxton Handmaid. Episode 5 Fact and Fiction. Hello, and welcome to this week's show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, I hope you're outside enjoying some of the lovely sunshine that seems to have appeared this weekend. And uh, it won't surprise you to know that I am not running the London Marathon at the moment. But congratulations to those of you who are. So if you're recovering from your sporting endeavours and taking a well-earned rest, this week we're going to be looking at fantasy knitting. What happens when the beautiful knitting you have in your head isn't quite the knitting you have in front of you? coming up to the end of April and I don't know about you but I'm very familiar with that saying why is there always so much month left at the end of the money so with that in mind we're going to be looking at three things you can do in London I've been to the fantastic and recently reopened Whitechapel Gallery this weekend, um, which is one of many places in London that is totally free to get into. So I thought that would be a good place to start, our roundup of all the cultural activities you can do in London for next to nothing. As you will know, and contrary to popular belief, knitting is not the thriftiest of crafts. So for those of you looking to save a few pennies with your favourite hobby, we'll be looking at how you can make knitting a little friendlier to your bank balance. So whether you're out and about in the sunshine, or relaxing in the park, or resting up at home, take out your knitting and let's have a look at some electric sheep. Lately, I have been suffering from a terrible case of startitis. For those listeners, probably members of my family, who are non-knitters, this is not some sort of inflammatory infection. Rather, it's the problem of starting one knitting project after another, leaving a collection of half-finished pieces strewn all over the house, discarded with the realisation that they would never deliver what they promised. Knitting has to fit your mood. Like with reading books or watching films, there are certain times where you just can't face picking up a copy of something worthy and educational, no matter how good it may be for your soul or your ability to impress others with your intellectual prowess. No, there are certain moments in life where in a trashy paperback or a romantic comedy starring Drew Barrymore that you know will be neither romantic nor comedic is the only thing that will do. Sometimes you're tired or stressed or trying to follow the intricate complexities of the wire and you need something simple. Soothing stockinette, your favourite scarf pattern, a plain hat that just goes round and around. You can settle into the rhythm with a nice soft springy yarn through your fingers, needles of a comfortable size, and it's enough. But perhaps on a Saturday afternoon, after a lie-in and a luxurious pot of coffee, you feel up to the challenge of something a little more diverting, which is when your first attempt at Fair Isle, or a jumper of interwoven cables, or anything involving kid silk haze, starts to look more appealing. There's the pleasant sense of actually engaging your brain, the steady focus of concentration, and the satisfaction of discovering, a couple of hours later, that hell yeah, you can knit in two colours at the same time. At which point, naturally, you're entitled to reward yourself with three gold stars and a chocolate brownie. For me, the problem arises when you don't know what it is you want to knit. I pick things up, knit a row, put them down. I'm either bored or frustrated by everything I try. I'm torn between things I want to knit and things where I just want the finished item. Things I think I want to knit but don't have the yarn in my stash for instant gratification or yarn I want to knit but can't find the right pattern for. When you can't find something to fit your frame of mind, it's a horrible, unsettled feeling. I get restless. I pace, I fidget, I pick up balls of yarn hoping for some sort of sheep-related inspiration and put them down again when none is forthcoming. The other pitfall is not having something simple and portable with which you can leave the house. The prospect of a long tube journey or a night away from home without any knitting tends to make me twitchy. It's like with umbrellas. If you take it with you, you probably won't need it, but leave it at home and you'll get caught in a downpour of biblical proportions. Which is why I think it's a good thing to have several projects on the go at once. It increases the odds of not being caught out. Or at least that's what I tell myself as I cast on the third project of the evening. I have five sweaters on the go right now. One is boring, and I will just have to keep at it, since it's turning out nice and will be a useful cardigan when it's done. One is also boring, and is turning out okay, but I'm not in love with it, and have a sneaking suspicion it will end up in the frog pile. One is great, but cabled and complicated, so I can only knit it at home. One is something I've been dying to make and is very simple and full of garter stitch, so I can carry it around with me on the tube. And the final one is in cotton with a pattern I need to pay attention to, that I'm knitting because there comes a point where you have to acknowledge that it's 71 degrees outside and maybe you should let up on the Aran alpaca for a while. So that's probably enough to keep me going for the time being, but I don't deny that I am a fickle, faithless creature when it comes to knitting. Not only am I often at the mercy of my mood or the situation in which I'm trying to knit, but I am forever being distracted by treacherous demons who would lead me off the path of finished projects. The first of these problematic creatures is yarn itself. The aforementioned kid silk haze, which always seems to call to me in its soft little voice, glowing with its jewel-like colours, as it curls up in your hand like a cute little marmoset, all the while sniggering to itself about the chaos it is about to unleash on the unsuspecting knitter. Again, for the benefit of the uninitiated, Kid Silk Haze is a beautiful mohair yarn. It is very fine, very fluffy and very pretty. It is expensive, although in its defence a little tends to go a long way as I think you get about 600 feet per ball. The problem is that it is most often used for very pretty, delicate lacework in shawls and scarves that show off its charming qualities. However, if you have ever made a mistake knitting kid silk haze in a lace pattern and then tried to undo said mistake, well, let's just say I hope you had a lot of alcohol in the house at the time and that you remembered to lock away any sharp tools and or innocent bystanders before you started. Fine, fluffy mohair does not untangle itself easily. I have heard rumours that putting the whole thing in the freezer for a while can sometimes help, but I'm not convinced this would be enough to tame the beast. The haze is not the only yarn that will try to lead you into temptation and although they may be simpler to use, they are often either expensive or much prettier in the ball than they are when knit. The latter applies to almost every novelty yarn you can think of and the former is for those gorgeous balls of cashmere and silk and Peruvian hand-painted blends. The prohibitive cost means that you can only justify one ball, or possibly two, and then you have the agony of trying to work out what to make with them that will do such beauty justice, while still being possible with about eight yards of the stuff at your disposal. Over the last few years, I have come to a compromise of indulging in a little Manostel Uruguay, for example, in a simple soft scarf, and the rest of the time sticking to my Lanark tweed and Jameson's Heather Aran for the big stuff. They may not be as exciting as some, but they are good workhorse yarns that suit the kind of things I like to knit, and they do what they say on the proverbial tin. And the presence of four balls of sparkly silver kid silk haze in my yarn stash is absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with me. Obviously. My second knitting demon is photography. Browsing through websites and blogs is a great way to find a little inspiration and admire the latest projects from talented folk like Brooklyn Tweed. Being a photographer as well as a knitter, his pictures are naturally rather more impressive than what I manage with my little point-and-click cannon as I desperately try to find enough natural light by my windowsill and work out how I can be the photographer and the model at the same time. Usually I'm happy if I capture the gist of the thing with enough detail to see the knitting, But knitters like Brooklyn Tweed manage to have photos that make their efforts look better than the original pattern, and his self-deprecating enthusiasm makes it sound so easy. I am lulled into the confident conviction that of course I could knit this. The reality is that I am not as experienced or accomplished a knitter as Mr Flood. I will get there eventually, but what takes him a week will take me a month, no doubt with a few more confusions, calculations and expletives thrown in. Nor do I live in his charming Brooklyn apartment. That cosy lace blanket is perfect for hiding under the sofa with a steaming cup of coffee as the sunshine streams through the window before you pop out for a walk across the frosted pathways of Central Park. But outside my window, it is mild and damp and grey. I have the sofa, I have the coffee, and jolly nice they are too, but really I'm being seduced by my affection for New York and the hope of capturing a little Brooklyn in my living room. A similar danger lurks in wait over at Rowan. As with any fashion publication, I understand that their photos are hardly meant to depict reality. These models are not wearing knitwear the way that us mere mortal folk would. They have stylists and set designers and suitably dramatic locations in which to to display their wares in the best possible light. But it is almost embarrassing that, despite knowing this, I fall so easily for the superficial dressing. I was staring at a jumper in an old Rowan magazine the other day, and started mentally adding it to my knitting queue. Not only was it in kid silk haze, but it was fairly boring stockinette, with a scalloped edging I detest. However, this section of the magazine appeared to have been photographed at a windswept castle on a Scottish moor, and this particular model was standing in the library and I realised that I didn't want the jumper at all. I wanted the bookcase full of leather-bound tomes she was standing in front of. I wanted the oak-panelled walls, and the roaring fireplace, and the warm glass of brandy on the leather sofa. Fortunately, the part of my brain that ensures I keep breathing, and does the hard work with my knitting maths, and reminds me to step out of the way of oncoming traffic, managed to intervene, and point out that the sweater pattern would provide me with none of these things, and that I should simply accept the fact that I do not, and never will, live in a Scottish castle. Of course, this is the entire basis of advertising and magazines in the first place. The notion that if you buy this particular object, you will somehow magically also take possession of this kind of lifestyle. And the brief fantasy this provides can be a lot of fun. I love to read fashion magazines, but I no longer allow myself to buy them. Partly because they are expensive, but also because I suddenly realised there was a price to be paid for the thrilling buzz of all these new and exciting things to look at. They made me feel incredibly inadequate. Nothing I owned was good enough, nothing in my wardrobe looked right, I would never earn the kind of money that would make it possible for me to have these things. So I don't buy them. Which, of course, isn't to say I don't devour them in doctor's offices, or relish the fashion pages of a newspaper, or delight in a quick peek through a friend's subscription to Vogue. Like any kind of diet, you fall off the wagon now and again, but a little treat every so often can't hurt. Knitting, of course, is rather different, but the same pitfall sometimes trips me up. Sadly, I do not live the kind of life that would ever require a floor-length knitted ball gown, but gosh, doesn't it look pretty. I am not a Romany gypsy travelling through Europe in a horse-drawn wooden caravan. But if I was, that's just the jumper I'd wear. And I wouldn't mind the handsome bloke that seems to come with it either. I confess I'm something of a daydreamer, and prone to dwelling too long in my own little world. On the plus side, this makes for an active imagination, but part of growing up, for me at least, has been becoming more adept at reconciling the fantasy in my head with the reality in front of me. And I think this is a reconciliation we are all faced with on a regular basis, and all have to negotiate in our own way. Whether it's a relationship, a job, or a knitting project, the fantasy we had of it when we started may not be the same as the reality we end up with. In the best circumstances, it's a thousand times better than we could have hoped. Other times, there's a satisfying sense that the two versions are no better and no worse, just different. And on other occasions, we have to acknowledge that we have allowed the fantasy to blind us to the true nature of something. At which point, there is a decision to be made as to whether we abandon the illusion and embrace the flawed but tangible reality in front of us, or continue in pursuit of the dream. But whichever path we choose, the fantasy plays an important part in the reality. It may sometimes lead to disappointment but it is also what inspires us to aim high and to expect things both from ourselves and those around us. That one moment of inspiration can lead to some of the most exciting discoveries, and there are countless examples in art, science, politics and indeed knitting, where a crazy-sounding fantasy has been transformed into something real. Knitting a jumper having been inspired by a photo from patterns like these involves a strange kind of alchemy, The yarn you choose, the alterations you make to the pattern, the things going on in your life as you knit, all make subtle changes to the original. Gradually, the photo transforms itself into your version of this particular sweater, and although it may not bring you Scottish castles, it can make you feel that you could wear it and walk into Balmoral with your head held high. And before long, you have your own photos to replace the fashion shoot. It's no longer the castle jumper... It's the jumper you lived in for three days at the Glastonbury Festival. It's not the Central Park sweater. It's the sweater you wore that day when London ground to a halt under six inches of snow. I don't know about you, but I know which I'd rather have. all feeling the pinch these days somewhat as uh, we tighten wallets belts and w- w- whatever th- other things we're supposed to be trimming down on generally with our expenditure and uh, it's tricky with knitting because there's no denying it it's an expensive habit to keep up um mostly through buying your yarn um so i thought it would be worth a quick look at some places that i think do tend to do a bit of a better deal um, than uh than others um, these are all online places obviously because it does tend to trim down the cost i know people worry about you know you should support your local yarn store um rather than ordering stuff online um you know go with these small independent places but actually a lot of the ones i've been looking at are british based um mills uh that make their own wool and 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 sell them from the mill and you know they are an independent industry themselves So it's not as if you're going to the equivalent of Waterstones or Amazon buying your books a lot of the time. Um, You are still supporting something local and independent. Um, And also, the other thing is I've tried going to local yarn shops sometimes and they just don't have what I'm looking for. I find increasingly that the small little shops tend to focus on you know kind of boutique yarns and they have a lot of very beautiful things that are very expensive and that you wouldn't necessarily look for to to make a whole jumper or something unless you were you know sort of money was no object um but if you're just after some um you know some double knitting lambswool or a bit of something tweedy um they don't tend tend to have it if you want silk or cashmere then the little shops are brilliant um but i i just find it is a lot easier to to go online and you can get the color you want and um have it delivered and everything else so i don't know it's it can be a tricky choice you know if you're trying to um sort of do the right thing um but as an alternative to say john lewis or something um perhaps you can consider some of these so you've probably have heard of some of them but maybe there'll be one or two you haven't tried yet um one of my favorites is texair um which is brilliant again it's 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 a mill um up north and uh They have a huge range of supplies for all sorts of textile crafts, actually. I mean, they cover everything from dyeing to embroidery to felt making to paper making um, to rug making and spinning, as well as knitting. So they have all sorts of things. Um, But fortunately, they do divide it up by craft. So you can very quickly just go straight to the knitting stuff. And um, there's a couple of things I have used several times, which I I would recommend. One is uh, the um, Troon Tweed um which i love it's an oiled wool so when you get it it is quite rough you know it's it's not the softest stuff in the world it's iron weight um but it comes in some really lovely colors and it's um it's very tough and sturdy so if you're doing a big cardigan or a sort of outdoor jumper type thing um it's perfect and when you wash it and wash away all the lanolin and so on it does get a lot softer um so you can make it much more, you know, give it a much softer handle when you're finished. But admittedly, this is not something for baby clothes, um, but but for adult bulkier jumpers and things, it's lovely and it, it does. The colours really are very pretty, um, and that's three pounds eighty for a one hundred gram ball. So um, it's it's just much cheaper than if you're, you know, say Rowan Scottish Aaron or something. It's that's a good um, credit crunch alternative. Um, another one of theirs that I really like is the Airedale Aaron. Um, and that's um, a pure blue faced Leicester wool, um, obviously an Aaron weight. Um, and again, it's very soft and it is just a nice alternative to a Rowan or a Debbie Bliss. It's £2.80 for a 50 gram ball. And the other thing with the Airedale Aaron is it does come in some really pretty colours as well. Um, there's, there's a lot of choice, um, which is great because sometimes with some sort of cheaper wools, it only comes in six colours and they're all a bit unimaginative. But these ones I thought were really quite good um and what was the other one just scrolling through quickly I know there was another one in here somewhere that I wanted to mention um and that was the um they have a king cole merino they've got a four ply and um a double knitting weight as well and again it's it's washable merino wool so this would be perfect for children's clothes or baby clothes um you know it's soft you can chuck it in the washing machine and again it's much easier you know it's two um Sorry, much cheaper two pounds thirty five 50 gram cone Um, and uh, again lots and lots of colours to choose from so I found that they're great and the the, the people running the place are really friendly and helpful you know they phoned me up once because they didn't have the colour I'd ordered and sort of talking through different options of what I could have instead and you know generally trying to be quite helpful so um, Texair I can can recommend. Um, The other one which I discovered through Ravelry um, from people recommending is uh, New Lanark which again is from their mill. Um, it's actually it's a conservation project. So it's sort of conservation building and things. And part of what they do is uh, they make and, and sell wool. Um, they just have two types really. Um, they have a, a a Donegal silk tweed, and then um, a heather mixture. So the tweedy one, obviously, as you would expect, has got some um, silk flecks in it, um, and comes either in aran. Or in double knitting, um, and uh, again they have some lovely colours. It's it's much cheaper than um, you know if you're looking for for um, a Rowan tweed or something. Um, it's £1.95 for a fifty gram ball of um, that's of the of the double knitting, and um, let me just see. I think it's a little bit more for the Aran. It's uh, £2.95 for a one hundred gram ball of the Aran. So it is, you know, it's, it's worth looking at. And again, it's because it's this conservation area, it's a local industry. So you are actually supporting them if you if you buy the wool from them. So that was a bargain. And it, they did have some really lovely colours that knitted up beautifully. Again, if it's not as soft as some, I mean, obviously, it's not as soft as something like felted tweed. But when you wash it up um, and, you know, um, give, give it a good block and so on, then um, it, it, it turns out lovely. And then a third place to consider that, again, um, somebody else at Ravelry had recommended to me is Scandinavian Knitting Design. Um, And they're brilliant for the Drops alpaca. If you've ever used the free Drops patterns, of which there are millions, it seems, um, it's one of their wools. It's three pounds. Um, a ball for 50 grams. Um, And again, it comes in an astonishing range of colours. I mean, so many. Um, There's dozens of them here, loads and loads of shades, and it's so soft and lovely. Um, And even though it's coming from Scandinavia, the postage isn't actually too bad. Um, So for £3 a ball, again, it's just a bit cheaper than most of the others that seem to be about £4.50. So three good places to check out. A fourth one I'll mention, which I'm sure you've heard of as well, is Cucumber Patch. Um, And they always have a sale section and they're often quite good at picking up yarns that Rowan have discontinued and selling those much cheaper. So it's one of the few places where you can still find things like Rowan Polar or um, Big Wool Tuft and some of those wools that were actually discontinued a year or two ago now. Much, much cheaper. The other brilliant thing with Cucumber Patch is that they deliver so fast. I ordered some last week. I ordered it on the Monday morning and it was with me on Wednesday. Um, And that was with me emailing them to change the delivery address as well. So they're really fast and very on the ball. Continuing this theme of um, finding affordable ways of doing the things you love. um, As I was saying, I was at the Whitechapel Gallery this weekend, um, which was just fantastic. I think I, I hadn't been for years. And of course, it was closed for a long time while they renovated it. And now that it's open again, it is well worth a visit. For a start, completely free to go in. Um and the place is a labyrinth. Um it looks quite small from the outside and then you go in and there are endless staircases and doorways leading you off to all sorts of hidden treasures. Um, at the moment, there's all sorts of, of new contemporary artists, people I confess I have never heard of, but who had very interesting things um, for, for you to look at. Um, they also have the reproduction of Picasso's Guernica tapestry. Um, the connection being that in 1939, the original tapestry was displayed at the Whitechapel Gallery and it was the only place in Britain um, that, that had it on display. Um, or or the, the, in the first place in Britain they had it on display. Um, and uh, so they have this reproduction of it and, and that's stunning to look at in itself. But they have it with um, another exhibit that looks at the Iraq war and some um, other anti-war um, artworks that have been developed from that and sort of connects the two, sort of connecting um, Iraq to um, Guernica and so on, which was very interesting. Um, and then they also have on display some things that I think it's the British um, Arts Council have bought over the years. Um, over the last, uh, you know, almost a century, I think, um, where they've managed to get artworks from up-and-coming British artists before they hit the big time, as it were. So they've got a Damien Hirst and they've got a Peter Doig and and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so there's some beautiful pieces on display there. Um, so another very interesting room. But it's it's well worth just wandering around. There's all kinds of hidden treasures um, and some lovely photos actually as well of the local area over the years and and looking at Whitechapel itself which is always nice, a bit of local history in there. Um, so do pop down to Whitechapel. If you want some other um, tips of free things to do in London, I can highly recommend looking at Time Out, um, who've done a brilliant piece all about stuff that is free in London. And they've covered everything from art to theatre, music, um, walks, workshops, comedy. There's all sorts of things they've hunted down. So I won't go through all of those because you, obviously you can look those up yourself. But... There's some great ideas. I mean, walks, obviously, are always a classic, particularly now that the weather has got so beautiful. Um, All the fantastic galleries in London that are free, I always think, is amazing. Um, And equally, lots of nights where, you know, there's a lot of pubs that have um, live music or live comedy where they don't charge, you. you know, it's up and coming people you might not have come across. And sure, there might be a few turkeys in there that you'll uh, have to sit through, but it can be really inter- interesting. There's often, they, they do get some really good people in and you can hear, um, you know, a great band or see some some really good comedy um, without having to pay more than than the cost of your pint. So well worth investigating what's going on at your local pubs and uh, and, and, and so on, sort of around where you live, because you might come across... Um, A little gem tucked away there somewhere. The other thing I've noticed cropping up more and more is this idea of sharing our resources. Um, So whether it's doing a yarn swap with your knitting group, everybody brings along yarn they've had for ages but never used, and um, do a bit of a swap shop for those. Um, Of course, people increasingly are doing it with clothes too. Um, There's a couple of websites where you can um, photograph some of your clothes that you want to get rid of. You post it up. It's a bit like eBay. Um, But you you swap things rather than somebody buying your stuff. Um, You have a look at each other's wardrobes and sort of barter, you know, one dress for two pairs of shoes or something, depending on what you've got. Um, So that's worth a look if you want to reinvigorate your wardrobe without um, splashing out the cash. Um, Along similar lines are fantastic schemes like FreeCycle. Um, which is sort of taking recycling to its logical conclusion. So instead of throwing stuff out or putting it through the usual recycling process, um, again, you, you, you do a, a swap or you even just give it to somebody who could still get some use out of it. So you post the items up. No money ever changes hands. Usually you have to be able to collect things if you're talking lawnmowers or washing machines. Um, but they're amazing for, you know, those household items actually can be brilliant through FreeCycle. Um so worth having a look on there um, and uh, there's also great schemes like um, uh, swap a frock um, which again is you know, a clothing swap idea um, where you can just exchange bits and pieces so that instead of throwing things away or spending a fortune getting something new um, you, know, you get something new you make somebody else equally happy with something that you're completely bored of but they can't wait to get their hands on um, so everyone wins all round and of course, if you're not crazy about the idea of doing this online or that all seems a bit of a hassle, then it's brilliant to team up with some friends or your knitting group or people from work and, uh, you know, have a clothes swap evening, you know, go around somebody's house or a pub or something and organise, you know, make, organise one for yourselves, make a party out of it. One final thought to leave you with of um, ways to amuse yourself um, and uh, and save some pennies at the same time. Um, you could follow what um, the village of Mersham, near Ashford in Kent, um, and uh, and what they've done, which is their uh, 40 members of an afternoon club have created a knitted version of their village. Yes, in all seriousness, they have knitted their village. They have a scale replica model um, of the entire village, and this includes everything. You know, they've got gardens, houses, Buildings, cars, the roads. Um, they've got little people doing the gardening. Um, it's quite extraordinary. The BBC, bless them, have have, have um, managed to, to do some wonderful photographs of it. I confess some of the villagers themselves are quite scary, these little figures. Um, they're sort of little, they look slightly ghost-like. Um, sort of little cardboard... Um, it, inserts that have been covered in in wools they're sort of walking jumpers with slightly frightening faces holding a little trowel and doing their gardening but um you know other than that it's 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 lovely i mean there is a part of me that's slightly frightened little bit village of the damned going on you know slight flashbacks to the wicker man or something you know the the parts just look a little worrying but generally i can see where they're coming from it's a lovely idea and there is some there's an impressive amount of detail going on here um And, uh, you know, it's not easy knitting a white van, for example, but they've done very well. They've got the local pub, the Royal Oak, um, looking very nice too. Um, And uh, they've got a great picture of uh, 80-year-old Margaret Goldup, um, who has had a lot of pleasure with everyone else knitting um knitting the village and they're selling it all off for charity in individual parts so um, you know you could just buy a house or the aforementioned white van i assume Um, and uh, they're going to raise some money for their local hall so there's a thought you know if ever you've uh, wanted to do a particular knitting project get together while away the um long summer evenings and um yes who knows you could really expand I i don't know what would happen if anybody tried doing it with london would take a very, very long time. But uh, yes, I will put up the link so that you can enjoy the knitted village of Mersham. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Um, As ever, you can contact me at hoxtonhandmade at gmail.com through the Hoxton Handmade or the Electric Sheep blog of course I'm also on Twitter under Hoxton Handmade so there's numerous ways of tracking me down one way or another Um, I would love to hear from you so until next week happy knitting and uh, get out there and enjoy the sunshine while it lasts